So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Yes, broadcasting live here from Pandemic Central in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are... Uh, and you know, I'm proud of us. We're climbing in the rankings here of yeah. hotspots. You know, yeah, we're, we're chasing uh, Florida and California. I think we might win. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're we're uh, definitely on the hot list, right? I'm. Uh, uh, I saw that my zip code, where my building is, is actually in one of the red zones of Nashville. By the way, so that was nice. I thought, well, oh, really? You know, yeah, and uh, so it's not in the, you know, uh, it's not in the thing you would uh, <laughs> choose for yourself to find yourself in. But uh, yeah, we're all uh, masked up. Now you're being you're being. St- you're being super careful, aren't you, David? Yeah, seriously. In all seriousness, I am because our our building has uh, limited use of the common areas, and they still haven't opened our gym. And we use masks inside the building. You know, when we go out and walk the dog. It, of course, is um, you know mask free, but um, sure outdoors. But but yeah, our, you know when we just uh, walk in from the parking garage, we're masked up and ready and and I really don't eat uh I don't eat in restaurants and uh the restaurants around my building are still all takeout and carry out so that's been a good thing yeah um, you know yeah, but yeah, yeah just trying to uh use a little common sense which now are you still <laughs> seeing are you still seeing clients face to face or are you doing everything remote uh I'm about half and half I'm in my office now uh, again which is good and um yeah but I'm giving people the choice and and the building that my office is in as well is all you know a mask uh building but when we get in our suite um then you know people can remove their mask and uh we can visit in my office that way um and I have a sure. lot of distance you know in my space from people when we yeah. when we sit down yeah. with them but um yeah, it's uh, it's just you know, it's just interesting because it feels like everywhere you go, there's just a sense that something's a little wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a little I off. Know. And uh, it, I know. I'm I'm good with the safety, and I'm I'm a I'm a pro mask wearer, but I I just do feel that sense of foreboding. I think that's starting to wear on people a little bit. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I'm in a good spot right now I- I emotionally, uh, but, uh, but I went through a period, I don't know whether you experienced this, but I went through a period of uh, depression, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly a loss of motivation and momentum. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, just a, a really severe case of quarantine fatigue. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really grateful. Actually, what started to turn it for me was the episode we did with Michael Brody Waite. Right. Uh, and, and I picked up his book, uh, Great Leaders uh, Live Like Drug Addicts. Yeah. Which kind of got me, I don't know. That, and then in I was, got, was very excited about that book, was talking about it with one of my friends. And almost all of my conversations these days are by phone. I'm still walking with guys, but you're, we're just in separate zip codes yeah. talking by phone. But these are guys I've been walking with for years. Right. And uh, one of my friends recommended a book. He said, have you read Atomic Habits yet? I said, what, what's that? He said, well, it's been at the top of the bestseller list business books for uh, a few weeks, maybe a couple of months now, uh, you really ought to get it. So I picked up the audio book of Atom- Atomic Habits by James Clear. Wow. And I want to tell you, dude, it was, uh, that started a train. Uh, and I, I've read a number of books since then, implemented a number of those books. I, I'm thinking I'd love to talk about those if we got a little time at the top of the show here. Yeah. Talk a little bit about books, maybe pass along some recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. This is the day where you and I um, share, you know, the things that we're reading and, and dip in our mailbag a little bit. And um, yeah, let's let's talk about it. Okay. All right. All because we don't have a guest, but who cares? <laughs> but yeah, who but, cares that we don't but, have a guest? But guess what? I've had uh, some of our listeners uh, encourage us to actually do some shows uh, without guests and just uh, take up a little time. So maybe this is a good All right. thing. So we'll, we'll go with that. All right. So uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. So this is, this is a book by a guy who's been blogging about habit formation and uh, habit breaking for years now, mm. doing a lot of research, uh, published a, a regular newsletter that now has, God, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Um, so he's got a deep scientific understanding, get like a medical, psychological understanding, neurological understanding, as well as a great philosophical grasp about how it is that uh, we form habits Wow! and what strategies we can employ to form good ones and to abandon bad ones. Mm-hmm. Now he's really clear at the top of the book to uh, make the point that he is not proposing that uh, he has the answer to addiction. Okay. Uh, you know, breaking addiction is not as simple as breaking a habit, but when you're in recovery as we are, and, uh, you know, the, we get free from the obsession, right? As we all know, we've got to have something to replace that obsession. I've got to find a way to build good habits. I've got to, I've got to find a way to build positive sobriety. Yeah. And for me, that was the most helpful part of this book. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he lists what he calls the four laws of habit formation. And then the reverse of those laws are the laws of habit breaking. So, you know, the things to do to make, to build a habit and the th- and they do the opposite of those to break a habit. And one of the first, this was revolutionary to me, uh, was, you know, to begin a habit, it really has to be easy. So he introduces the concept of the two minute rule. 
He said, if you want to build a new habit, start with a commitment to do it for two minutes and two minutes only. Okay. So uh, you're going to go to the, you know, you need to start a habit of going to the gym, go to the gym for two minutes or take two minutes to get into your gym clothes and don't go any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you want to, you know, run, run for two minutes, what, whatever. Now, I applied this to a number of habits that I have wanted to start that I have really struggled with. And the first one was journaling. Yeah. You know, back in early recovery for me, those years of early recovery, journaling was absolutely key. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in those days, following the advice of a sponsor, I wrote three pages a day, every day. Wow. And it was, it was you know, dramatically effective, very helpful in my recovery. And then, uh, you know, life gained speed. You know, I got busy, things happened. uh, And in the time crunch, I let that habit go. Mm -hmm. Well, several times in the intervening years, I have tried to restart my journaling habit. Uh, But I've never been able to do it for more than two or three days. Mm. Suddenly, I realized that perhaps my problem was that I was trying to start at the three pages mark, trying to start where I'd left off, and it was too big of a leap. Right. So I made a commitment to journal just for two minutes a day. Wow. David, it's freaking amazing. It's been almost a month. I haven't missed a day. Um, I now journal for more than two minutes because I found I did, you know, I can't stop after two minutes, but that's how I started for the first week. I only wrote for two minutes and then I bumped it to three and, and now I don't know, I'm writing basically a page a day, but it's becoming, it has become a habit. It's automatic. It's kind of in my routine. Yeah. And isn't it funny Um, how much, how much you can do in even like five minutes, I mean, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Uh, I applied the same thing, the uh, same thing to stretching. Now, I have never stretched in my life. Uh, I didn't even know that stretching might be important until a few months ago uh, when, as I've, I think, said on the show, while pressure washing my fence, I managed to, to you know, pop a hernia just because I'm in old and in poor shape, right? Yeah. Uh, now, <clears throat> I have, you know, exercise, regular exercise has been a challenge anyway, and stretching is painful, and I don't know how to do it, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I set myself an intention. I can stretch for two minutes a day. And I, you know, I Googled, you know, stretching for core strengthening and there's a zillion recommendations that you can find on Pinterest and elsewhere and found a simple two minute routine. And David, I haven't missed a day. Wow. Now, when I first started, I mean, I couldn't touch my toes. Yeah. You know, I've definitely have lost flexibility. Yeah. But now three weeks to a month in, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling a lot stronger, a lot tighter, and I'm much more flexible, mm-hmm. feel better, and I can touch my toes, yeah. which makes it easier to clip my toenails, for which my wife 
is grateful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but, I applied that. So I did the same thing for blogging. I've got four habits that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I did the same thing for blogging. I've had a blog site since 2007, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, in 13 years, I think I've posted maybe half a dozen times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and And now I understand it's because... Um, I was committed only to posting, uh, I don't know, masterpieces. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I set the bar way too high. And then the pressure to create the perfect blog made it impossible to write the blog, which meant the blog never got posted. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I said. So I just said I will blog for two minutes a day. Well, now I'm. I've completed a number of blogs. Haven't posted any yet, but I'm working now on restarting and reconfiguring the site. And in another month or so, you know, NateLarkin.com will be up there, and I'll be. You know, I'll have a regular blog post. Yeah. But in the meantime, um, boy, it's it's really helped my mental energy and my creativity to be blogging on a daily basis. Now you, uh, you, you have been a guest blogger and a produced content for recovery today and other outlets. Mm-hmm. You must've cracked that code a while ago. Well, you know, how do you manage to make that happen? I, um, I, well, I'll tell you one thing that helped me a lot was reading Anne Lamott's bird by bird book, bird by bird. Oh yeah. And I love it because she has a, a chapter called the, her first chapter, I think is called the shitty first draft. <laughs> I know. I love it. Yeah. 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 yeah, so, yeah. You know, you have to, you have to basically embrace the idea that this is not going to be perfect and that the, yeah. the, the first thing you write is just writing. Um, and then you go back and then you hone it and you say what you want to say and you edit it down. And, and I'm kind of of the belief that nobody's going to read more than 500 words. So the, uh-huh. the temptation, when you even come to grips with that, uh, the temptation to be, you know, prolific and go on for, you know, war and peace, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah. is, is, uh, eliminated. So, so the, 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 the real nuts and bolts, I think is just, um, is knowing what you want to say and just say it and then get out and yeah. do it consistently enough that you're not setting the bar, like you said, so high that you've got to write. A, a chapter, um, you know, and call it a blog because, you know, yeah. it really is just something that you can, you can give your idea, make it accessible and get out and, um, yeah, leave yeah. them with one thought, you know, but doing it consistently, um, is, um, and it helps, you know, cause when I do those, <laughs> when I do blogs, like when I was doing things for recovery world sites and recovery today magazine, things like that, you know, I would get paid. So that helps to <laughs> sure, sure, sweeten sure. the incentive pot. But honestly, to just consistently do it, writing is an exercise. I mean, another thing Anne Lamott says is every day, you know, butt in chair and sit at the dreaded white space and just write, you know, yeah, um, yeah, regardless. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it just is. It's a matter of doing it. Um, you know, the fourth habit that I've been cultivating, I was challenged uh, 
James Clear makes the point, and this point is made in another book that I read as well. I could, because I then I, I I went to James Clear's recommended reading list and started working down the books that he recommends. Oh yeah, and I found a great one called The Practicing Mind by Thomas Sterner. Mm. Uh, f- fantastic book. Audiobook sucks. I ordered uh, the audiobook <laughs> first. <laughs> the guy. Uh, I, Easily the worst audiobook I have ever listened to. Oh my God. Painfully bad. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> but the content is so good that I suffered through the entire uh, uh, ordeal, <laughs> and then bought and then bought the print. Uh-huh. The Practicing Mind, great book, and uh, you would love it too because he talks a lot about. This is a guy who was a musician, a musician, and okay. and a piano tuner, by the way. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has great insights into, uh, you know, the long-term benefits that come from incremental improvement, mm-hmm. uh, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And focusing on the journey rather than the destination and ratcheting back from perfectionism and speeding up by slowing down. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. But one of the, uh, one of the points that he makes, Sterner makes and uh, Clear makes is that Really, to be fully alive and mentally healthy, we should always be, at some point in our lives, challenging ourselves. He said, you know, uh, uh, one thing about habit formation is uh, when you're trying to build a new habit, don't reach for too much. Yeah. Uh, try to build something that is... Uh, Challenge yourself. Go to the go well beyond the limits of you know what you're accustomed to, mm. but don't necessarily shoot for the moon and set yourself up for inevitable failure. Yeah. So I thought, you know, what skill would I like to acquire that is doable? And uh, and then I looked over in the corner of my office, and there sat the guitar that my wife bought me a couple of years ago. Oh wow! Um, I've I've said forever that I wanted to play the guitar. I've always wanted to be a singer. I like to sing. I've always wanted to be a singer-songwriter. The uh, problem is the only instrument I ever learned was the trombone. Uh, <laughs> and you can't, hard to be a singer-songwriter as a trombonist. You can't get booked at the uh, Bluebird at uh, doing the trombone and uh, singer-songwriter night, right? No, no, no. The lyrics come out all muffled. It's really <laughs> bad. But <laughs> uh, That's hilarious. And... <laughs> And, you know, she, when she bought me the guitar, I, you know, I, at that point, you know, I went to find the learn to play guitar overnight courses, right? Right. Yeah. And gave up after a couple of days because my fingers hurt and I, you know, and I couldn't make the chord transitions. And I, after two days, I couldn't play a song, which meant I couldn't book myself with the bluebird, which meant there was no point. Right. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so now I, I, I've restarted it. Okay. I will learn, I will practice the guitar. And the point is just to practice. If my goal is to learn to play the guitar. And I'll say, I'll be happy when I learn to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. Then my goal is always before me and I am never satisfied. I'm always unhappy Mm -hmm. until I reach the goal. And I set myself up. I imagine that when I learn to play the guitar, then I will be happy. Well, I'm never, probably never going to be satisfied with my level of guitar player, 
uh, playing, especially since I live in Nashville, and there's always going to be some guy within 100 yards of me who can play better than I can, right? Well, that happens. So I'm setting myself up for a lifetime of frustration and comparison if that's my goal. But if my goal is simply to practice the guitar, well, then I can, I can, I can find completion, fulfillment, satisfaction, enjoyment every day just by practicing. Yeah. If that's my goal, I can, I can successfully practice the guitar. Yeah. So um, I cannot yet successfully play the guitar, but I can successfully practice the guitar. And I started at two minutes a day and found that it's fun to practice the guitar. Yeah. And now several weeks in, you know, I can't, I can't transition between chords, but I know th- four chords. Yeah. And my fingers hurt, but not as much as when I started. And I look forward to those few minutes each day and I'm cheating now. I don't stop after two minutes. I go up to, you know, maybe even five or six minutes a day. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's how, and, and honestly too, as your hands uh, develop the, um, uh, uh, dexterity that you need, you know, that, that isn't going to be developed. Um, if you, if you overdid it, you would be counterproductive at, especially, really? you know, yeah, adult ages, you know, that's why kids learning to play the piano, uh, have such an advantage because their hands are so pliable and they're still growing adults. Um, you know, oh, yeah. you can almost, um, well, it's like going to the gym, you know, you can't, if you, if you go in there and bang it out for an hour and a half on day one, you know, you're yeah. going to be, first of all, in traction uh, at home on day two, but, um, but you're, you're counterintuitive at that point, you know, you're what? not easy. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if the same thing is happening in my hands then that is happening in my hamstrings with my stretching exercises. Yeah, of course. Cause it's much easier to stretch now after a month. Yeah. And it's also easier to, to stretch for those cords. And maybe it's just because I'm not pushing it too far too fast. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I really recommend to our listeners the book Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear. Also, The Practicing Mind by Thomas Sterner, uh, but get the print version. <laughs> uh, un- I don't know. Un- unless you're, you unless might- you're tone deaf. <laughs> you might have really piqued the interest of the audible book. Here, I, I might have to just <laughs> at least sample it. <laughs> uh, another great book uh, is The Art of Possibility. Uh, this is by far and away, if The Practicing Mind is the worst audio book I ever listened to, uh-huh. The Art of Possibility is the best. Okay. Uh, it is narrated by the authors, a husband and wife. She is a therapist. He is a symphony conductor. It's a Rosamund Stone, Xander, and Benjamin Xander. They are brilliant, great writers, marvelous narrators, and they weave music through the audiobook in a very effective way that enlightens what they're, you know, the principles that they are communicating. And by the time it was over, man, I was ready to, you know, sign up to go listen to some classical music because I understood it a little more. Yeah. 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 Great book. That is great. And it's great that a, that an orchestra conductor can have a therapist for a wife. I think that's very awesome. 
<laughs> I think the you know the symphonies all over the world would would thank uh, her. But oh, yeah. oh man, <laughs> Xander does a does a great job of describing kind of the prototypical um, asshole <laughs> symphony conductor. <laughs> we just garnered a lot of appreciation from the uh, symphony uh, people right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so yeah, especially if you hate conductors, you need to listen to this book because Xander is not of that mold yeah. at all. Well, that's great. I, so, I will have to pick that up. That's for sure. Yeah. Fabulous book. So, um, you know, the, one of the things that I really loved about the practicing mind was this focus on, uh, living in the present moment. Uh, the point that Sterner makes several times throughout the book is that if you know, if we're looking for joy, we we can only experience joy in the present. Mm. Um, we can anticipate joy by live, living in the future, but joy is not there. Uh, uh, we can only experience joy when we get there, right? Right. Uh, and, and we're in the present. So if, if I'm living in the future, I can't experience joy. Mm-hmm. If I'm living in the past, I'm, I guess I can, uh, find some enjoyment in pleasant memories, but that's memory. That's not the immediate experience of joy. And most of the time I'm probably going to be frustrating with my frust- frustrating myself by trying to, you know, recast or rescript or somehow change the past or regret whatever it is I'm going to try to do. Yeah. Uh, what I was not aware of and what I continue to lose sight of is how much of my time I spend out of the present, mm-hmm. uh, thinking ahead, planning away, uh, you know, anticipating planning and how I rob myself of joy by spending so much time out of the present. So I'll tell you where it really came alive to me. He pointed out, uh, he talked about uh, cultivating the beginner's mind. I've heard this phrase before. I didn't understand what it meant. To me, beginner's mind had a negative uh, connotation. I don't want a beginner's mind. I want an expert's mind. Mm. But he says, but he said, no, no, a beginner, somebody who is beginning to learn anything. When you're beginning, uh, it's all unfamiliar. So you're fully focused and fully alive and fully present with what you're doing. You have to. It requires your total concentration in order to learn. And so you you fully experience what it is you're engaged in. Mm. And because you're fully experienced, joy is possible, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, so he said, for example, you know, when you first learn are learning to drive, you are in beginner's mind and you are really awake and alive to the experience. But later on, your brain is always, uh, you know, trying to simplify and automate and, uh, you know, it's trying to save energy. And so it begins to automate processes. And pretty soon you can drive without even thinking about it. Mm. And your mind can be on a million other things. And you can be on the phone and you can be having conversations while listening to the radio. And you can be oblivious to where you are, what you're going or what's going on around you. Wow. And that certainly is me. So I had just listened to his, uh, you know, a painful explanation of this entire point. <laughs> and I, and I, and I had to go to the store. So I get in my car and I come out of the driveway 
And I said, and, the, and automatically the radio was on because the radio is always on. Sure. And I thought, wait a second, wait a second. I turned the radio off. And what if I can almost forget that I know how to drive a car? Mm. What if I can cultivate beginner's mind about this driving business? What if I can fully experience what it's like to drive this car to the store, to feel the steering wheel, to feel the weight of the car underneath me, to almost to feel the tires on the, to see the road and really see the road, Mm -hmm. uh, to look around and be conscious of the, the neighborhood that I, uh, have driven through so many times that I hardly ever see it anymore. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I kind of got this flash as I did it where I started to almost remember what it was like to pull out of the driveway of my parents' home behind the wheel of my very first car, a 1964 Ford Fairlane. Wow. And that sense of freedom that I felt and adventure, you know? Yeah. But here I am, I'm driving down, you know, Lewisburg, but I've driven down a thousand times, but I'm in beginner's mind. And then I started to feel the strangest sensation and I look in the mirror and I've got this stupid grin on my face, David. (laughs) And I thought, holy crap, this is joy. I'm I'm experiencing joy in driving my car. Right. It was freaking amazing. And... Here's the here's the strange thing. I have replicated that experience several times since. Mm. Now, always while driving the car. I haven't figured out how to do it with other stuff, but uh, with it's a it's a anyway. It's a wonderful thing and a good dose of joy and a gift from from uh, I don't know from books. Yeah, absolutely. there's my book, my crazy my crazy book review and book recommendations. Those are awesome. Those will be those will be great. Uh, for our listeners and great um, exercises in how to apply it in their, in their personal lives and in our, even in our own recovery um, as well. I've got a couple of quick ones before we um, get away. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to, um, they're just a couple here. I, one I just started and I'm, but I'm excited about it. Um, and it's called the way of gratitude and it's by a guy named Galen Gungrich, and he spells his last name G-U-E-N-G-E-R-I-C-H. And um, uh, he is a uh, Unitarian Universalist minister in uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan at All Souls Church. Um, he's a PhD, uh, uh, he, uh, number of university credits to his work and so on. But this this book is about the, the, um, the way of gratitude is gratitude as a spiritual, uh, exercise. It's a spiritual, mm-hmm. uh, approach to the practice of experiencing gratitude and expressing gratitude. And that when our, um, our brain is engaged in, uh, keeping track of the things in which we are grateful, our, the, the part of our brain that produces anxiety doesn't function. Um, oh. to the extent that it does otherwise, because you're using this part of your brain that is focused on joy, gratitude, the prefrontal cortex is all about joy, gratitude, 
um, the ability to uh, process these thoughts, the exercise of processing these thoughts, and um, the, uh, the the back of our brain, the limbic system where, you know, anxiety and the reward system, but like the amygdala um, is, yeah. is, is not producing anxiety when you're engaging in the practice of gratitude. And that's a real overly simplified kindergarten version of it. And he doesn't geek out as much of, you know, in the book as all of that, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the premise because um, he just, just gives ways and experiences and poetry and all kinds of things that, that enhance the, the experience of gratitude. I'm trying to get him on the show uh, because uh, I have a connection at Random House to his uh, publicist and I really want to get him on the on the on the podcast because uh, I'd love for him to just unpack this because gratitude is such a pivotal part of recovery. So oh, um, yeah, so I'm yeah. hoping you know we can get um, Dr. Gungrich. Uh, what an awesome guest he would be! Yeah, all right, yeah. good. So he's yeah, on, he's on my guest list. So, uh, but the other and the other guy, this guy's on my guest list too, and I've reached out to him. Um, we had him at St. Augustine's Episcopal Church where I attend. And um, his name is Rami Shapiro, um, and his book is Recovery, the Sacred Art. And uh, Rami is a, um, a rabbi, and he's sort of a Buddhist. And so he's sort of a Buddhist rabbi, Jewish uh, hmm. man, that is um, experiencing the 12 steps in a spiritual um, in another another book about spiritual practices. And, and instead of it being um, uh, you know, a, a book about, you know, checking your list and here I'm doing the steps and here's what it looks like. It's really about more experience, experiencing them in a, in a spiritual way, learning how to, um, experience surrender as acceptance, as opposed to an okay. act of just, you know, me giving up or me laying down something and walking away. This is about acceptance and how the, the core of, the spiritual experience in recovery is first accepting yourself, accepting your truth, accepting the world as it is, you know, all those things, and then yeah. moving past that. And so his his book is really, it's a very artsy book and, um, and very much uh, kind of an Eastern um, tinge to it, but I loved it. It was a, it was a great book and we had him come and speak to our recovery group there. And uh, he was, he was great. So, um, Anyway, those are two that that I would throw out just uh, to add to the to the pile. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. Okay. Well, let's do this. Let's put these titles in the show. I'll make sure they're in the show notes when yeah. we post this thing on Podbean. Yeah. So our listeners can find them there. All right. Yeah. Oh, and I had well, I had, I had one idea, Nate. Um, okay. Before we uh, move to another little uh, segment here, I would love for our listeners. Uh, see what you think about this. I would love for our listeners uh, to write us at our email address and let us know how they are experiencing recovery in the midst of this really unprecedented time in our country and world. Um, And if they could share their experience with us, maybe we could share an experience or two um, on a podcast here and there as a point of... um, encouragement because I back at what you were saying at the beginning of the show today I I think what we're experiencing collectively as a culture is grief I think that yeah. I think that oh, it's yeah. I think it's really grief work 
um, that we're doing with, you know, um, the idea of, of losing something. Um, and not to say oh, that wow. things will never be, um, you know, more b- better than they are now, but um, I believe, of course, they will. But I think that I think that what we're experiencing is grief as a culture. And if we could learn to grieve together instead of grieving and pushing one another apart, I know that sounds so Pollyanna, but I really do believe yeah. that we have a we have a lot to share in common right now um, with one another, as opposed to polarizing ourselves. Um, so, uh, I'd love to hear how people are experiencing recovery in the midst of all this or how it's challenged them or triggered them or, or whatever. But if you guys want to share your recovery experiences with us in the midst of this, as it pertains to this environment right now, um, I I think we'd love to hear about it. We sure would. We sure would. We'll give that email address at the end of the show. Uh, and I think before we get there, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig into the mailbag. Yeah. Okay. Stick with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, we are um, we are pilfering through the mailbag. Here we are today, um, and uh, you and I are um, uh, we're we're solo. I guess we're a duet, but we're solo today. Um, yeah. And uh, I have uh, I, I have guests. A- we don't need no stinking guests. <laughs> exactly. Come on. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, you know, I've had people tell me that they uh, they like our conversations, and so we thought maybe today we just have one, but. Um, actually our, our, our listeners, uh, are kind of in the seat of the guest here in this little segment because we get get a fair amount of uh, feedback, which we love and, um, and we love hearing how things, uh, impact people. And so we thought maybe we'd just share, uh, kind of, uh, a few, a few little snippets from, from folks. So, um, okay. I have a letter, uh, from a, from a lady named Becky and, um, I'll, I'll just read this uh, real quickly here. Uh, she says, hi, Nate and David. Uh, firstly, thank you so much for all that you do. Your podcast has been foundational to me in living life alcohol free. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm writing you today in hopes that you can direct me to some resources to help recovering Christians in my area. Here's the story behind my inquiry. I've recently reached out to the care ministry at the local Presbyterian church. I attend here in her Dayton City. And uh, I told her I'm 17 months, um, I'm 17 months alcohol free after daily drinking up to a bottle of wine for many years and didn't feel like AA was right for me. That is, uh, that was not meeting my needs. And was uh, one, and I was wondering if our church has a support group for women recovering from an addiction. Long story short, no was the answer, even though there is a huge need for this uh, says she. <laughs> uh, the reasons uh, the reason cited in part was the shame in the church associated with recovery, plain and simple, and lack of relating to the AA reputation, i.e., repeatedly confess you're an alcoholic, having to be careful of mentioning Jesus, etc. Repetitious nature of the meetings, on and on. 
So here I am. Said care minister has put me on a little research excursion to see if there specifically is a book or Bible study, uh, should I say Christ-centered, that has been developed for high-functioning Christian folks who have found themselves trapped in an addiction they want to quit but need more help and want to stay away from 12-step programs. Does this exist? Question mark. As long uh, as as a long-term Christian, I was solidly launched into my spiritual program, was happily married, and had a good life, and unfortunately was predisposed to become addicted to alcohol. I knew the Lord loved me, and I also knew I was addicted, and it was strangling me. I guess that I, we, need to be around other believers and join in the hope and successes they found in their faith and recovery to go beyond the escapism and now entrapment we've found in our addictions. In addition, to perhaps delve into the deeper issues behind why we use, including the subconscious level. We are quite sure there is a big need for this in, quote, the church, uh, the big C church. Uh, thank you so much for any help. All the best. And then uh, her name, Becky. And uh, so, you know, that's uh, that's a great question, a great dilemma. Um, it's one we hear a lot. Uh, the church and its relationship to the 12 steps. That's probably a book <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, that if it's not, it should be, um, maybe you and I could do that, Nate. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I want to say this and, and it's going to, I don't mean this in any kind of a snarky way at all. Cause I think Becky's a- asking a really important question and especially in a context where she finds herself to wanting uh, to be a, you know, a servant to her fellow uh, uh, travelers in that, in their area of recovery in her church and her community. But I would, I would like to encourage the church, Big C, to explore themselves in the bigger recovery picture of their communities. Because I really believe the church needs to get outside of itself the church tends to want to reinvent the wheel to suit itself and to suit its ideologies. And I think it would be really important to people uh, in recovery in the, in their faith systems to be challenged by some of the things they will hear and not agree with, and nor do they have to embrace uh, in some of the rooms, not maybe 12 step rooms, maybe some other smart recovery and some other uh, recovery uh, modalities, but, but get outside the church and see what some other people are saying and see if rather than um, inventing a plan for the church that involves all the things you think you already know, go outside the church and see what's happening out there. And maybe there's some things that you can bring back and uniquely create something that works for you all. But um, I get nervous sometimes about recovery and the church when the church wants or needs to, um, to, to create something that fits its paradigm because, you know, we're just a little more special and I'm not hearing Becky say this at all. So don't, this is, this is my editorializing. This is not Becky's um, perspective, but, but when we feel a little too special for what's going on around us, we kind of have to stay in our little corner um, so that we feel safe. And quite frankly, so that our personas can stay intact Um, you know, it was, it was getting outside the church for me that first of all, probably, uh, 
wrecked my evangelicalism, but secondly, it really, um, it, it did a good thing for me in that I realized that God moved in ways that I did not um, have categories for until I stood outside the church and sought help. So I don't know. I know you've got a whole place on that in your story. Um, what are your thoughts on what Becky's asking? Yeah, you know, this is always, uh, you know, I was raised in a part of the church, the Pentecostal, or the uh, Pro- Protestant church, the Pentecostal wing. You know, I was on the, yeah, I was in a, a strand of the Protestant church where AA was regarded not just as sub-Christian, but anti-Christian. Right. And so there was a lot of polemic against AA. I heard it growing up from the pulpit. Um, and uh, the same kind of objections that it sounds to me, this care minister articulated to Becky when she inquired, what can we do recovery related for people in the church? Mm-hmm. The idea that yeah, it's a, this offensive thought that I'm going to label myself as an alcoholic or an addict or a sinner, that that's going to be some kind of a permanent state. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you know, we naturally and even spiritually, you know, we want for a, we want a permanent, we want a permanent transformation. It's an, anyway, that's a long kind of a theological thing. Uh-huh. One thing I have recognized, first of all, is that um, 12-step recovery has had a subversive influence on the church for a long time. Mm. Some of some of the most vital spiritual movements in the church have been uh, recovery inspired, but led by, you know, cagey Christians who were careful not to cross lines and kind of despised, but disguised where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. But, but, this, but this goes back. This goes back to Keith Miller. This goes back to Jack Miller. It goes to a guy named Jack Lord, guys who clearly got a tremendous amount of inspiration from some kind of an encounter with uh, 12-step recovery. Yeah. Um, Certainly was, uh, you know, my experience. My experience in 12-step recovery uh, opened doors and windows on the Bible and on my understanding of the gospel and the Christian faith that I had never seen before. I've just transformed what had become pretty much a moribund faith. I was going through the motions as a Christian and I, you know, I intellectually believed, you know, most of what was said and pretended to believe all of what was said, but, um, but it wasn't having, it wasn't bringing life to me in the way that was advertised. Mm -hmm. Um, My experience in 12 step recovery and especially my experience in community with a uh, vulnerable, authentic community completely changed the game for me. Mm-hmm. It is telling that Becky has been sent out in search of, this is kind of our preferred solution, mm-hmm. a Bible study. Mm-hmm. Because we somehow think that what addicted Christians need is better information. <laughs> right. Or, right. Right. But, but it also has to be theologically correct. When uh, what I have discovered in my recovery journey as a Christian, and I am still very much a Christian, probably more a Christ follower now than in my years as a bright and shiny, well-credentialed preacher. Mm. Um, 
what I have found is that uh, I didn't lack information and there really isn't any secret information. What I lacked was authenticity and a safe place to bring my real self. I, I lacked a direct experience of grace and full acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, I lacked a willingness to admit, to embrace, to own my own shadow, my own brokenness without allowing it to define me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I lacked relationship. What I really needed was I needed to join the human race. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and I needed to learn how to be in true community. And I found true community in the rooms. Right. Uh, now, I don't know. It sounds as though Becky is, uh, you know, associated at this point with, uh, she mentioned it's a Presbyterian church. Sounds like it's a pretty uh, conservative Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. I certainly have been, as have you, been a part of uh, good conservative Presbyterian churches. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right? Right. Um. Uh, whether they can bend enough to accommodate it, uh, there is a Christianized, uh, probably the church-endorsed, you know, widely Christian-accepted 12-step program. The one with the biggest footprint now is Celebrate Recovery, which comes right. out of Southern California. Right. Right. Uh, uh, and they will go so far as to correlate the 12 steps with the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. uh, with the Sermon on the Mount, and show the direct correlation and read those at the meetings. And it's going to be a meeting that can actually start to look and sound and smell a little bit like Sunday school. We're going to sing worship songs. And, you know, right. uh, they, make the, they make the tie-ins very, very explicit. Yeah, but they still retain a twelve-step structure. If they can't go with twelve-step structure, if that's so anathema that they're not going to be able to let it fly, even under the radar in a skunk work somewhere in the church, then uh, then I think probably their best bet is the sonship curriculum created by Jack Miller and the World Harvest folks out of Philadelphia. So that's mm-hmm. what I would recommend. Yeah. Those would be great. And, and Becky, I hope we didn't uh, frustrate you on the front end with, uh, you know, some of our uh, uh, assessments. Uh, what Nate just said would be really, really great material for you to pursue and see if that can be adapted uh, to fit your needs. So, Nate, do we have time for awesome. one more quick letter? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me read one. Let me pick one here. Yeah. Uh, here we go. I'm going to read one we got from uh, a guy named Ben. Hey, Nate and David, I want to send you a quick note to thank you for the podcast. I found the recent interviews with Michael Brody Waite and Jay Stringer to be particularly fantastic. I immediately went and bought the audiobooks of both, and I've already completed them and have found them to be incredibly helpful. As a sex addict myself, I was really struck by Stringer's claim that self-deprivation is often a key pillar of addictive behavior. I've spent so much of my life trying to make others feel good that I never allowed myself what I needed. And that need grew, and I ended up trying to satisfy it in ways that were harmful to myself and those around me. 
Stringer suggests that a key part of my recovery is to reboot my passion in a way that snuffs out feelings of futility, those feelings that led to addictive behaviors, and also reclaim my sensuality in a non-sexual way, allowing myself to really enjoy music and nature. I'm working on living out that advice, tapping into a passion I've had since I was a kid to help the poor and marginalized but never knew how I could truly help until now. Even though Brody Waite's book is geared toward those not in recovery, his insights into why we wear masks and why they're dangerous hit me to the core. In my own situation, I feel like mask wearing has played a key role in my own addictive behavior. When he talked about avoiding difficult conversations, I knew he must be reading my mail. I will be repeatedly reviewing and implementing the suggestions from both books for months to come. In the agnostic 12 steps, step three says, make a decision to be open to spiritual energy as we take deliberate action for change in our lives. With the corresponding mantra, today, at least once, I will reach out to a spiritual resource as I meet the challenges and opportunities in my life. You too play an important role within the set of spiritual resources I rely on to practice positive sobriety. I know that recording the podcast week in and week out can be exhausting, but please know there are addicts out here who listen every week and deeply appreciate all you do. Ben, thank you so much. That's thank you so letter. much for the letter. It's a huge encouragement. And I'm sure it will also be an encouragement to Jay and uh, Michael when they hear your feedback on their work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, David, it's been great to reconnect with you, even without a guest. Absolutely. Without a guest and without coffee. I don't know, but <laughs> I guess we can pull it off. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. But we do have we do have yeah. guests coming up, right? You're we finding do. a way we do to have fill, people. The, fill the schedule. Yeah. We we do. Right. And and we do have some good, good folks coming in that I really want everybody to uh you know hang with us because these folks are gonna be well worth uh following up on. So Okay. So, uh, by the way, we'd love to hear from you. We don't read, we obviously don't read, can't read every, uh, letter on the, on the, on the podcast, but we do read every letter, share every letter, pass them around. They're a huge source of helpful insight and encouragement and occasionally correction when we cross the line, say, do something stupid. Don't feel like you have to write to give us compliments. If you need to slap us around or, or advise us uh, of something, go ahead, do it, do us a favor and send us a note at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. That's right. And speaking of help, Nate, we want to just highlight uh, true help, uh, try better help. Oh yeah. Uh, our sponsor and uh, try better backslash positive sobriety. And you will receive a 10% discount on your first visits um, Try Better Help is an online uh, therapy resource. It is not a um, is not a crisis line. It is a uh, a place where you can find uh, qualified licensed therapists 
um, to help you in any of your many um, dilemmas that we're all dealing with right now in our lives. About 500,000 people so far are using Try Better Help. So uh, again, trybetterhelp.com backslash positive sobriety. All right. Well, there it is. I believe as I look at the clock, I believe we have come to the end of our hour. Right on. Uh, as 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 you uh, therapists and uh, recovery coaches, you know, say, you know, uh, we've we've come to the end of our time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's just our way of saying get out your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have come to the end of our time, but we'll be back. We'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 